somebody else takes the credit, how does that make you feel? How do you think God feels when despite his repeated revelation to humankind, his achievements are credited elsewhere and he does not receive the glory that's due to his name? And yet in era after era, we fall back into the same old ways. So the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Rome describing contemporary society. It's in Romans chapter 1. Verse 21, he wrote, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So 500 years ago in their day, Luther and Calvin and others sounded a call to reformation. But 500 years after the reformation, the assessment of Romans chapter 1 could easily apply to our society. There's a guy called Algernon Charles Swinburne who used these words which have a familiar ring in our post-Christian secular society. He said, glory to man in the highest, for man is the master of things. It seems despite reformation, despite calls back to biblical Christianity, the tide seems to be against us. Are we fighting a losing battle? Somebody said history repeats itself. It has to because no one listens. So in Old Testament times, in New Testament times, in pre-Reformation times, in post-Reformation times, credit or glory, which is due to our Creator, is given to human beings and their achievements. We could be really depressed this morning. And yet Scripture assures us that one day, Habakkuk 2.14, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. History's all well and good. Those who ignore the lessons of history are condemned to repeat them, but what practical implications does this teaching have for us today? The first thing I want to say is this. Our reason for being is to glorify God. God. Listen to these words again from Isaiah. Isaiah 43, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And here's the bit that applies to you and to me and the reason that we're here on planet earth. Isaiah 43 verse 7, everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So Christian, are you called by God's name? Then here's your purpose. Your purpose is God's glory. You're a signpost. You're an advertisement. Not only because, as the psalmist says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but by your actions, by your attitudes, and everything else, your job is to point to God's glory so that God might receive credit, glory. That's our reason for being. Here is our role, and it's expressed in several places. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, you were bought at a price. 
Therefore, honor or glorify God with your bodies. You were bought with a price. That's the death of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Now, the context is sexual morality, but the implication is more wide-ranging. We can cover the sexual one pretty quickly. God has made his purposes for sexual relations clear in his word. Basically, it boils down to this. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between husband and wife. A married couple can glorify God with their bodies in terms of sexual activity, but in no other circumstances, that is, circumstances which God has forbidden, can you glorify God. That gives us a spiritual help warning to be careful that we don't justify things which God has made clear in Scripture do not please him by convincing yourself that when you do them you're doing them to his glory you can only glorify God in the things that he has made clear he approves of but let's widen the net can you glorify God with your body through substance abuse through overeating through excessive alcohol consumption I thought not Can you glorify God in your body by looking after it, by eating healthily, by keeping fit? Of course you can. Glorify God in your body because you were bought with a price. Here's a second clue as to how we can exercise our role in glorifying God. This one comes from Jesus himself, John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that they bear much fruit. Jesus has been speaking about himself as the vine and Christians, his disciples, as being the branches. And he says, this is to my Father's glory that they bear much fruit. What does that mean, bearing fruit? Well, on the one hand, we glorify God if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and so on. Christian character. And we plan to explore that in depth throughout the autumn, possibly even starting next week. But on the other hand, it speaks of our evangelism. We glorify God if through our witness and influence, other people become Christians and start to glorify God in their own lives. So, some of the ways in which we glorify God are the way in which we use our body, the way in which we produce fruit and which fruit is seen in our lives and other people see what's in our lives and glorify God and give him the credit for the lives we live when we live appropriately and the fruit of the Spirit is evident. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 is a sort of coverall verse. It doesn't leave anything out for the Christian life in terms of doing stuff for the glory of God when it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. This verse is all embracing whatever you do. We might ask the question, what part of whatever do we not understand? It's everything. Now, back in the 80s, we used to sing a little song which went like this. We sang some 80s songs this morning, and it was good. But we used to sing a little song that went, In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified today. Do you remember that one? Yeah? Yeah. And then, I don't know whether you did this, but I certainly did this in Glasgow. In my church, Lord, be glorified. In my home, Lord, be glorified. In my work, Lord, be glorified. In my play, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified today. It was bringing the whole of life into the context of living for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then there was a band, although I think we probably called it a group in those days, 
called the Fisher Folk. Anybody remember the Fisher Folk? I got some nods, I got some waves. There's an awful lot of old people in church this morning. But here we are. The Fisher Folk had a song which uh, the kids in Glasgow used to love on a Sunday morning. It's a bit like Zach wanting my lighthouse. We used to sing, pulling the weeds, Lord, pulling the weeds, living for your glory, pulling the weeds. And then we went on to all sorts of other things, doing actions, multiplying verses, riding my bike, and everybody lay on their back and kicked their legs in the air, and uh, riding my bike, going to school, eating my dinner, washing the dishes. And the bottom line is this, if you can't do something to the glory of God, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Living for your glory, doing all of these things. My daughter and grandchildren stayed with us one night this week, and uh, my grandchildren are teenagers. Uh, Jessica's a young teenager, and I searched through my DVD collection for something suitable for all-age family viewing. I've made the mistake before and have had to apologize to my daughter afterwards. That's when she's not been there. But we settled on Chariots of Fire. Who remembers Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire. Do, 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 do. Chariots of Fire explores the story of two athletes, Harold, that's good, Linda, Harold Abrahams and Eric Little. I hadn't watched it for years, but it's well worth a look. I recommend a look of that film again, but two lines stand out. Eric Little's missionary father speaks about peeling potatoes to the glory of God. He says, you, can't praise, you can praise God by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. Don't compromise. Compromise is a language of the devil. Run in God's name and let the world stand back and in wonder. And then Eric Little, the runner, speaking to his sister who believes his running is jeopardizing his missionary calling, says, I believe God made me for a purpose but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. To give up running would be to hold him in contempt. Do you know, Bach and Handel, influenced by the Reformation, each wrote at the end of their manuscripts, Soli Dei Gloria, to the glory of God alone. These guys didn't earn money from their manuscripts. They weren't looking for money from their manuscripts. They were looking to glorify God in their music. Martin Luther, that little Playmobil figure that we uh, remember from the video a few weeks ago said, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. Spurgeon, the 19th century Baptist preacher, cites the testimony of a housemaid. She said, since I became a Christian, I sweep underneath the mats. Previously, she swept the dirt underneath the mats. But now she was a Christian. She cleaned every little bit, even the bits that were unseen. Just see what happened here. The concept of living to God's glory alone breaks down what's sometimes called the sacred secular divide. Pre-Reformation and sadly since, many lived as if God was only interested in what we did in church services or on church premises, and we lived the rest of our lives as practical atheists, indistinguishable from our non-Christian peers or colleagues. The sacred-secular divide is also expressed in the distinction between clergy and laity, as if a priesthood or ordained ministry had a function to live to the glory of God, while most of us could live any way we like, so long as we fulfilled our religious obligations. But if we're created for God's glory, 
If because we've been bought at a price by the precious blood of Jesus, we're to glorify God in our bodies, if we're to do whatever we do to the glory of God, then the sacred-secular divide is broken down. Like everything else, this whole business can become distorted. In my university holidays, I worked as an excursion leader in a Christian holiday center in the Lake District. And on Thursday nights, we had a concert when the guests sang, recited, performed silly sketches. We laughed our heads off and we got sore hands through vigorous applause. But Sunday nights were different. We had the sacred concert when guests presented sacred songs and readings and there was no applause. Why? Because in this context, so the wisdom went, God alone should be getting praise and glory. And for much of my life, the tradition was for the same reason that we never applauded in a church service. We never applauded a soloist. We never applauded a choir performance and certainly never applauded a, applauded a creature, a creature, a preacher. But times and practices have changed with the concept of offering applause to the Lord a part of our worship or acknowledging appreciation of the presenter and the gifts they've used. I believe it's right that we should express appreciation of the service of others. So what Mark did earlier is lovely, it's great to appreciate those who've offered service, but we should be careful to stop short of giving the glory to people which is reserved for God because the line that comes to us from the Reformation is this, to God alone be glory. We live in a celebrity culture, even our Christian celebrity culture. And in a Christian celebrity culture, there's a temptation to glorify our favorite preachers in place of God. Don't just challenge us. There's a fine line between appreciation and idolatry. God doesn't only speak through celebrity preachers. If he could speak through Balaam's ass, he can speak through anyone. Aren't you glad I'm not an American when I said that? <laughs> and of course, whether it's Balaam's ass or the pastor of a mega church, because we believe in Scripture alone, one of the other onlys of the Reformation, we've a standard against which any message can be judged. Does this teaching conform to Scripture? If not, we do not give God or the preacher glory for it. And what holds good for preachers holds good for ministries, for courses, for programs. Glory to God alone. Not any preacher, not any leader, not any program. We need to be careful too that we don't do good stuff for the wrong motives. Let me ask a question. Why do we do outreach? Why do we as a church feel it's important to be out there reaching out to other people? Is it because that's what we believe good evangelical Christians should do? Is it to grow our church because church growth will mean we're doing well? And incidentally, the argument goes, the more people who come in, the more money we'll have to keep our ship afloat. Not necessarily because they might be poor people that God brings. Is it to secure celestial brownie points? Is it because God will think better of me if I reach out in his name? Is it to gain a good reputation for our church, Bridge North Baptist Church? That's the church which? Is it because we want to help other people? That's a worthy motive. Compassion for the lost, compassion for the sick, compassion for the poor is all good. But even that is not the God-honoring motive. Here it is. We reach out. We do everything else that we do as Christians together as church so that others would glorify God 
too. If we're to do whatever we do to the glory of God, then we need to check our motivation. Even our motivation for good stuff. It's Sunday. It's the start of a new week. Let's look ahead a little bit. Okay, tomorrow is a bank holiday. It's not a normal sort of week. But how will you plan to glorify God this week in your leisure time? For many, Tuesday, back to work. How will you glorify God in your work? As you meet with friends or family, how will you glorify God? He has created each one of us for the purpose of glorifying Him. Let's ask Him now to help us to fulfill His purpose in us this week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your glory is there for us to see in the created order in the wonders of nature. We thank you that your glory is there for us to see in uh, creations such as uh, mighty buildings or wonderful music or literature or art. We thank you, Father, that uh, you are a creative God. And Father, we take that responsibility that you've given to us, that you've created us for your glory seriously this morning. We ask our Father that you will help us to glorify you with our bodies. Father, that that will be a check to us in the things that we do. Can I do what I'm doing or proposing to do to the glory of God? Help us, Father, too, to glorify you with our bodies positively, doing good stuff with the motivation that you would be glorified. Help us to be fruitful because that's what's to your glory. Jesus said so, it must be right. So help us to show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. May other people see that love, that joy, that peace, that faithfulness, that gentleness, that self-control. And may people be drawn to Jesus, your Son, as a result. May we glorify you as we reach out and other people come to know you as Father and Jesus as Savior and Lord and the Spirit as the indwelling enabler. Father, thank you that being a Christian is a 24-7 thing, not just an hour and a half on a Sunday or whatever other meeting we might show up at. We thank you, Father, that Christian faith encompasses the whole of life. So help us, whatever we do, this week and every week, to do it all to your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.